For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Habs and Minded. It's over. It's over. The top 25 under 25. Patrick and Anton can rest. <laughs> I've, I've, I was going to say, I've already rested for, for a week or so. so you know, it's Pat, probably Pat, Pat's sake. Yeah, Pat, Pat, Patrick's been handing off a lot in the last week to me, and I'm perfectly happy to uh, take over a few of these podcasts in the, the top six. Uh, that was Anton Rasgard. I am Jared Book. Also joining us today is Matt Drake. And if you haven't already guessed, as we've gone through 41 ranked players, there's one missing, and it's Sprague Ribbonsoin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> that's an inside EOTP. I, I mean, if, if you've been around EOTP uh, for a while, you know that joke. I, I, I was, I was gonna, just going to say, like, I bought a reverse retro jersey this year with Ribbonsoin <laughs> and number 91. Obviously, number 91 because his father, the the unsung hero, Larry Ribbonsoin, had number 19. So he had to reverse. Yes, of, of course. I, I don't know why you're calling it a joke, man. Sprague Ribbonsoin <laughs> is the most real prospect in the history of prospects in hockey. So uh, I take offense to the fact that you're considering this a joke. <laughs> he still um, has a Twitter account as well. Someone has made him a Twitter account. And, and the, cra- the crazy thing is that this is his 15th year in the top 25 under 25. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, he... long, how long have you guys been around for that? <laughs> I've only been around seven years. It, 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 okay. Sprague, Sprague is from before my time. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a while. How long but, has Matt been around? I don't even know that. I have been around for too long. I've been around <laughs> since 2012. So I was I was here when when Sprague first came onto our radar. Oh yeah, it's it, it's funny because uh, in my at the Bell Center uh, this past year, uh, in the press box, the the places near the the center of the ice where I usually have a seat sit is. It right across from the the ring of honor or whatever they call it builders row i think is what they call it and and right across from where i was sitting one game was uh spray cleghorn and uh, it made me think of uh our friend mr uh, ribbonsoin uh in there but yes enough uh, enough uh 
beating around the bush. Number one, Nick Suzuki. Not really a surprise, I don't think. I, I think it always was going to come down to whether it was Nick Suzuki or number two, Cole Caulfield. But for the second year in a row, Nick Suzuki is the number one player on the top 25, under 25. What, what are your, your, your thoughts on, on the, the process and Suzuki being number one? Well, I mean, it was, it was unanimous, which, I, I mean, last year it was almost unanimous. I think we had one holdout that ranked him third. Uh, but this year, obviously, he got unanimous and it's deserved. I mean, he's a ridiculously good hockey player. He's getting penciled in by some people as a possible alternate for Team Canada at the 2022 Olympics, which is wild because that team is going to be unbelievably stacked. So the fact that they would even talk about him as being maybe an alternate that might, you know, travel with the team and, uh, and not necessarily play, but just the fact that they're even considering him for that, it speaks volumes of, you know, what he's shown to people around hockey in general, right. That pundits are considering that because that, that team's going to be wild. So if, if he's even an alternate for that team, it just goes to show what he's done in just two short years in the NHL, uh, ridiculous season from him, even better playoffs, this is a well-deserved number one. Uh, it's an obvious one. And he's number one in another way, too, this season. He's going to be the number one center. So uh, we're going to see what he's really made of for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, like last year, it was a debate whether him or or KK would take the number one spot with with Nick Suzuki getting, getting his first, first, first time. Uh, well, it, it was basically since 2019 was the last year for both Jonathan Drouin and Max Domi. To be eligible for the list, it was you know gonna be crowned a new, uh, a new hero, a new number one, and it came to be Nick Suzuki. I think I don't think anyone on staff had uh, had Kotkaniemi at one. Maybe maybe one had, um, but it was still you know when you see this season and you see not to you know not to think too much about Kotkaniemi now that he has already left the organization, but you see that there is a more polished game in Nick Suzuki. And you can see that he develops for, for each year. Uh, just, I mean, I remember all of his power play goals that he had this season uh, towards the end as well. Like when he just, he found his spot on the power play. And it's just like, because he's always been a slick playmaker, but just adding that, um, that shooting aspect as well to his game um, will be really fun to, uh, to look forward to, especially since, He's probably going to be paired up one way or another with uh, number two on this list, Cole Caulfield, and and that can be really fun for for a lot of years to come. Yeah, you know, you mentioned his playoff. He was the top non-Tampa Bay Lightning scorer in the in the playoffs, tied with William Carlson for sixth, which, which is kind of crazy. At the top five scorers in the playoffs were all mm-hmm. Lightning players, but that's a that's <laughs> another story. But uh, yeah, you know, Suzuki was. There's always these questions. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it's kind of funny because when he was first acquired from the Canadians, I think a lot of people were like, oh, they couldn't get Cody Glass. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. and now I, I don't think... What, wasn't the story Wasn't the story as well that the Canadians asked about Cody Glass? Like, I don't know if that was true or it was just a rumor, but but, but uh, that Vegas said, hell no, nah, we're not going to give you <laughs> Cody Glass because he's our most well-touted prospect and we want to keep him and we want to keep Randstrom. But Suzuki, yeah, it could be all right. Yeah, I, was, I think that's probably, probably... I think there was rumors that that was the initial ask, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. 
maybe it was a Jedi mind trick. And he's like, we really, really want Cody Glass. And then they were like, no, we're not giving you Cody Glass. All right, well, I guess we'll take Nick Suzuki. Uh, well, I mean, if they had loved if they had loved Nick Suzuki so much, they would have taken him at six that year in the draft. So, like, there was a reason why they chose Cody Glass first. So, uh, yeah, obviously none is left for the Vegas Golden Knights right now out of their first round picks from that year. So Yeah, because Glass got traded for Nolan Patrick, right? This yeah, one? yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I recall correctly, the knock on Suzuki back in that draft was the, the typical one, which was size, which is kind of ridiculous when you think Skating about it now. Because, well, I think. Uh, yeah, and the, the thing about that is, number one, let's start with the size. He's got pretty good size. I mean, he's 5'11", and he's over 200 pounds, so he, he plays a pretty thick game. He's hard to knock off the puck. Uh, and let's talk about the skating, right? He doesn't look like he skates that fast, but he does. He doesn't look like he's because when he has the puck, he really, he changes pace and he like, you know, adjusts his speed a little bit to kind of throw defenders off. So he slows the game down at will. He's actually a pretty fast skater. And his, I, I like, in my opinion, anyways, I think he's one of the better skaters on the Habs roster. I'm not going to say the best because they've got some speedsters like Byron and, and Anderson that can really fly. He can't beat one of those guys in a straightaway race, but he uses different types of tools in his skating that I think got him overlooked uh, as well, in addition to the size aspect. Uh, but the, the fact that he can put all that together with his puck handling and his passing abilities is, is really what makes him an excellent player. And I, I think that he just kind of got overlooked in that draft. I don't think it was just the Habs. I think a lot of teams overlooked him. And if they had to redraft, I think he's probably going top five in that draft, uh, I would think. Yeah, yeah I, I, sure. I would, I would yeah. think so. I, I'm, you know, you look at the top end of that draft. I mean, you know, I don't even think you would take Nico Hischer or Nolan Patrick. Uh, Hiskinen, Makar, I think those two guys are, are at the top of any redraft. Pedersen as well. But mm-hmm. then you have Cody Glass, Leas Anderson, Casey Middlestadt, Michael Rasmussen, Owen Tippett, Gabriel Velarde, Martin Nietzsche. I mean, uh, most of those guys, other than Nietzsche, I mean, they, they've done practically nothing in the NHL, right? After mm-hmm. Pedersen. Pedersen was five. Glass was six. And then you had Anderson, Middlestat, Rasmussen, Tippett, Velarde, and Nietzsche. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. You know, that, that, there's no doubt Suzuki goes ahead of those guys. And then if you look at guys who are drafted behind them, there's no one really that, that sticks out in terms of uh, top prospect. I mean, you know, Jason Robertson, Jason Robertson was a second-round pick. But even then, yeah. I think Suzuki's ahead of him. So, yeah, you're, you're looking at a definitely – I would say top top three or top five, uh, top four for sure, right? I mean, Heiskanen, Makar, Pedersen, Suzuki, I think are the top four guys from that draft. And and you can argue about the order for, for days on end, but I think those are the four that you're going with. Because um, I, I think that Suzuki's ahead of Hischer, uh, definitely ahead of Patrick. Uh, and, you know, the other guys, um, you know, Suzuki is um, put up better numbers and, and Nietzsche is good but not Nick Suzuki, right? But is Suzuki better than Drake Batherson? In Ottawa? Is that a trick question? Well, he had, I mean, he's I had 53 <laughs> points in 99. Yeah, games, yeah no, Ottawa, Batherson's like, a good player. Um, yeah. You know, he was obviously a later round pick in that draft as well, I think. Yeah, it was a yeah, yeah, fifth, so, fifth round or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think Batherson is definitely into the top 10 maybe uh, of a draft, but yeah, I, I think Suzuki is. I mean, I, you know, I, I was just the only reason why I was asking was because I was looking through the entire draft and he was he's the only <laughs> one points. that's really yeah he was he's the only one that's really performed out of the second round like second round and and like later um, the only guy who was drafted 
after Suzuki, who has more points than him to date, is Robert Thomas, who was drafted in 20th. Yeah. And he has played 40 more games and he has five more points. So he also like, has a Stanley Cup. <laughs> so yeah, well, um, I mean, yeah, but, but yeah. I, I think if you would have done asked ask me two years ago, I think Thomas yeah. probably would have been ahead. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think at this point it, it's pretty that's clear. No, yeah, I was gonna say, like that that's normal as well in a mm-hmm. talent development when you're like 20 and 22, it's normally a big difference. There should be a big difference. Yeah, you should have more more meat on your bone when you're when you're 22 and you've established yourself in the league. Then you know more what kind of player you you could become and and what you can be moving forward. Yeah, in, in fairness to, I mean, you know, other NHL teams, when Nick Suzuki was first in the top 25 under 25, he was fifth behind mm-hmm. Max Domi, behind Jonathan Drouin, behind Jesperi Kotkaniemi, behind Ryan Paling, mm-hmm. and I. I he definitely he beat Kotkaniemi in the voting this year. He beat Paling in the voting this year. He would have been beaten Durant and Domi in the voting this year if they mm-hmm. were eligible. Obviously, they're, mm-hmm. they're older, but I, I think that they're you know if you there aren't that many players. And you know, it, let's put it this way: if you're t- looking at the Montreal Canadiens at all, whether you're looking at top twenty-five, under twenty-five, or over twenty-five, or whatever. There's no one you take over Nick Suzuki, I don't think. You could maybe no. argue Jeff Petrie, maybe. Uh, but I mean, yeah, there's just no, there's no question that that Nick Suzuki is the best player on the Montreal Canadiens uh, right now. I mean, you can, you can argue maybe Gallagher if you want to, you know, take somebody from the team. But I think in terms of skill and and youth and potential, it's it's without a doubt Suzuki. And you know, for me, the whole Suzuki Caulfield debate. Is like a better version of Gallagher Galchenya, right? Because oh, you you have the sure. you have the winger who scores goals, a uh, little undersized, and you have the center who is is a number one center or expected to be a number one center. Uh, but I think that Suzuki is a better player and prospect than Galchenyuk was at his age, uh, even though Galchenyuk had that thirty goal year. But and Caulfield, I think, is a better prospect than Gallagher. I'm not saying he's going to become a better player in Gallagher. I think he probably will be, but, but at least as a scoring way uh, winger. But I, I think that it's just an elevated, you know, Gallagher was a fifth round pick. Cole Caulfield was a top 15 pick. It, they're not the same. And, and you can argue that Gallagher opened the way and players like Gallagher opened the way for Caulfield. But, you know, I, I think in, in 2010, uh, Cole Caulfield probably would have been a second or third round pick. But it's, it's also like, yeah, but it's also like I mean, however we, however much we love uh, Brendan Gallagher, he's always been like slightly below. Like he has been on a on a very very high NHL level, but like slightly below the top, uh, really top end players who are the ones who kind of carry you to, to the playoffs and beyond. With guys like Caulfield and Suzuki, it feels like they are that top tier. They have the potential of becoming that top tier player who actually can carry their team on a bad year, uh, the way that we have talked about guys like Gary Price in the past. Gary Price has always been that guy for the Canadians who, who you've talked about. Well, you know, any given year, like you can trot out basically whoever. And as long as you have Price, you are basically going to be in the top four of your division and that is kind of what we're talking about with the potential of suzuki and caulfield as a tandem and and you know just as prospects that would be uh it would be terrific to just see like what you can build around them because obviously they will need help as well but it's just like to have that potential star power would be would be terrific 
Well, they have options now too. I mean, those two developed chemistries so quick, right? Caulfield was not there all year. He mm. comes in out of Wisconsin, immediately develops chemistry with Suzuki. And now they've got some options, right? I don't know who I want to see on the other side. I think it comes down to two people. I think it comes down to Mike Hoffman or Tyler Toffoli. I lean towards Tyler Toffoli because he was on an over 40 goal pace last year. At one point he was on pace for 50 in a regular 82 game season. <clears throat> He's putting the puck in the net like no tomorrow and Suzuki is a natural playmaker right we know he has a good shot we know he can score he showed what he can do Anton like you mentioned on the power play finding his spot and getting those shots off I think you want to give him another goal scorer so you're going to give him Caulfield that much is clear you got to keep those two together for the season you got to find out what can they develop if they develop the chemistry that they did throughout the time that they had together last year what are they going to do with a full 82 and a full training, well, not a full training camp, not a normal length of training camp, but a pretty much a full training camp as well. They're only going to get better together. And if you stick them with, you know, Mike Hoffman or Tyler Toffoli, another guy with a good shot on the other side, that could be a ridiculously dangerous line all season long. And a, a lot of people are saying, you know, maybe the Habs are a bubble team. Well, you know what? The one thing that they were missing last year was a little bit more goal scoring. Now they have it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The only question is if they have lost too much, like yeah. like just in other aspects of the game, because now they're like down yeah. defensemen and they're down like you don't know how the goal tender situation will be and and the center depth obviously and like it's a different situation. But yeah, they they shouldn't lack in scoring power. They really shouldn't. Yeah, you know, if you look at it this way, and the way I look at it is, they added Christian Dvorak, who is very good on the power play. They added Mike Hoffman, who is very good on the power play. Mm. They took away Shea Weber, who in theory is good on the power play, but we haven't really seen that in the last few no. years. And so if if those two guys and a full season of Cole Caulfield, let's not forget, those three guys, Dvorak, Hoffman, full season of Caulfield, just those three guys alone, if you can – add like 15 to 20 power play goals over a year that that's the difference between you know fighting for fourth place in in the north division or whatever the Canadian north division last year obviously the divisions are changed this year but that's the difference between going out in you know being fourth and battling toronto edmonton at the top so you know yes you know they lose philip the that line is they're probably going to give up more goals without Dano, without Weber. But I think that the way that the team is, is positioned and obviously Nick Suzuki is a big part of that is to outscore teams as opposed to trying to win games two one, you know, three, two, even, you know, I, I think you might see a little bit more four, three, five, four games and, and the goaltending is going to play a big part in that as well. But if you get the, the thing about Suzuki and, and Cole Caulfield is that, they don't need many chances to get goals, right? Like, look at the the game against uh, Vegas, game three. What, 38 seconds after Vegas makes it one nothing, they're out shooting the Canadians 22-4. to four. Suzuki gets the loose puck, finds Caulfield in the back of the net on yep. their third shot of the game. And, and that was a huge goal. Obviously, the game went to overtime. I believe that was the Marc-Andre Fleury game. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think that's what game that was. But but still, mm. you, you tie the game 38 seconds after Vegas takes the lead and is out shooting you 22 to five. That's that's a huge step. So yeah, I, I think that Suzuki is going to have an opportunity this year 
And you mentioned the guys they lose. If you get a little bit more from Suzuki, if Dvorak can do a little bit more offensively than Dano did, and I think that that's pretty, you know, not a not a huge ask at, at this point. You get, you know, whoever Ryan Paling or Jake Evans or whoever is that third line center playing with guys like Jonathan Jouin and say, I don't know, Josh Anderson or Mike Hoffman or who am I forget? Brendan Gallagher. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's, 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 you know, even if you have Toffoli and Caulfield on that line, you still have, you know, Lekkinen, Byron, Armia, uh, Tuf- uh, Anderson, Drouin, Hoffman, Gallagher. Like, that's that, uh, Perot, that, even. Like, th- yeah, those are... that, that was exactly what I was going to say as well. Like, I'm, I'm looking most forward to what the other players can do when most yeah. of the focus go to Caulfield and Suzuki, because, yes, like, these exactly. aren't bad players. Like, a few years ago, like, guys like Toffoli, Anderson, um, Hoffman, of course, like, they would have been, like, first-line candidates. Now they obviously maybe won't will be in the rotation for playing first-line, but they're not as important. And that I think, like... Speaking of uh, what Jonathan Drouin opened up, opened up about his issues as well and coming back now, I think it's just great for him to be kind of in the shadows as well and not having that pressure on him that he's going to be the unsung hero. He's going to be the one who carries the team. Like all these guys can just like kind of <laughs> these young guys go just on a youthful instinct and then the other older guys can just trot out behind them and just like, you know, take care of the secondary power play and just, uh, you know, uh, just playing against third line opponents, it will be, uh, yeah, it will be fascinating to see what, what the whole team can do. Um, yeah. And I mean, you, you don't have Dano to carry workload defensively anymore. So it, like Suzuki's going to have to eat some of those minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Dvorak's going to have to eat some of those minutes that would normally be reserved for Philippe Dano. Right. But if I look at this lineup overall, like you guys were talking about the, the scoring ability if you gave me the choice to like rewind to the Stanley cup final and I get this lineup instead of the one we had <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, I'm taking this lineup because I think it has a better chance against Tampa. Now, if you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the playoffs and get there, it, it might be harder because Dano had such a big part in shutting down a lot of the stars that they went up against. But if I look at what they've got now, I think they would have hypothetically a better chance against Tampa specifically because, you know, now you got a lot more scoring power hypothetically. So I think the key is figuring out how to kind of spread out that role that Dano used to have, because it would be a mistake to go to Nick Suzuki and be like, all right, well, we're going to carbon copy what Philippe Dano used to do. And we're going to have you do that. That would be a mistake, right? You're, you're taking him away from what he really does well. And I, I do think he's underrated defensively. He made a lot of plays last year. He's really good at cutting off passes. He's really good at anticipating where the puck's going to go and kind of get in there and cut it off. And then you have, when Cole Caulfield's out there, especially, it allows him to go and turn around and say, well, where's Cole? And you could bet Cole Caulfield's probably motoring for the other zone already looking for a pass. So there's a lot that he can do defensively. And I, I think he can definitely take some of those minutes, but if they can spread them out, right. If they can figure out how to play their matchups properly throughout the course of the season, I think honestly, there's an argument to say that this lineup is better now than it was last year. Like it depends on the coaching as well. We haven't mm-hmm. seen yep. what a Duchamp-led team can do with a full f- f- off-season. Um, we don't know how much Duchamp uh, had to do with the uh, playoff run or how much it was actually due to the players just basically taking charge. But we saw that it, it went pretty well even when Duchamp was gone due to COVID. So 
um, it will just be interesting because like in the past, when we had Claude Julien as the head coach, everyone was speaking highly of Dujam um, as the, you know, players coach and just individual training and just helping them to, uh, I remember, especially Jonathan Drain talking a lot about like uh, video, um, video analysis and just like knowing, learning from Dujam what he can do better on the ice and how he can maximize his potential that way. Um, so let's just hope that Dusham continues to do what he used to do well as an assistant coach for the Canadians and, and does that in more, you know, uh, as a head coach as well, because if he can, you know, iron out a few of the mistakes we saw last year from, from the Julien led team and the Dusham led team, um, there could be potential for something good here. Yeah. To, to Matt's point about spreading at the minutes, I mean, they, they have a perfect team to do that, right? Like Jake Evans can take some defensive minutes you know, more than Eric Stahl could, and, and definitely more than Jesperi Kotkaniemi could. Uh, you know, Christian Dvorak is not Philip Deneau, but he can do what Philip Deneau did, uh, at least in, in part. And, uh, you know, maybe he's not going to dominate possession, but he's definitely, you know, going to be able to, to keep the puck out of your net or at least take those minutes. And, you know, Suzuki as well, you know, he plays on the penalty kill. It's not like he's, uh, just an offensive player. He, he's a, he's always been a two-way player uh, throughout his career. And what, what's, what's really interesting, you mentioned Ducharme, is that this team is not really built to play closely in hockey anymore, no. right? Like the defense, with all due respect to the defense, you're not going to, you know, shut teams out with a defense that has Edmondson, Petrie, Sherratt, Savard, and then, you know, Romanov, Kulak, Weidman, Norlander, whatever grouping of, you know, defensemen you want, you want to, whatever order you want to put them in. That's not a, that's not really a recipe. You, you don't, you don't get guys like Jonathan Durant and Josh Anderson and Mike Hoffman and be like, let's try and win this game one nothing. Because it's, you're going to fail. Right? I, I, like, yeah, I was going to say that. And maybe maybe that's Mark Bergevin's thinking as well. He knows that, you know, we, we can't rely on Shea Weber anymore. And, you know, these guys are getting up there in age. So we just get really big defensemen. Because if we can't defend, at least they can cover a lot of shots just by being big. So they will just stand in the way of a lot of things. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it certainly seems like they have asked for for more firepower up front. Because that's where all the assets, all all. Most of the resources have gone in the last few uh, windows of, of transfers. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it, like this training camp is going to be fascinating for me. Like, I just think that there's so many different combinations and, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they how they think the team is going to look right away. And and, and you know, obviously, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield both make this much easier than they would have. I'm going to go off the board. We weren't really planning to discuss this, but I am curious. Christian Dvorak is 25, so he's a few months too old to be part of this ranking. Where would you put him Three. if you had to rank him? Three. Yeah. Like, okay. uh, yeah. That, he, that's... He's basically replacing Kat Kinyemi, right? Yeah. Like that's, well, yeah, that's yeah. Like... yeah, but the question is like... Yeah, no, I, I would absolutely take him at three. I, I think he has lower ceiling potential. He's 25, so like even if he was 24, I would say that he's pretty much uh, like you know what you're going to get out of the player at this point. Uh, and I feel like um, right now, I think he has established himself more as, uh, and like he is a middle six 
center. You could argue that he's a second line center, um, but that's a more proven uh, NHLer than I. Like we have Alexander Romanov in third place now, and we don't know if he's going to be a top four defenseman. We hope so, but it's not a given. And uh, I wouldn't therefore have Dvorak before him, um, but I would say that his ceiling is lower than Suzuki's and Coffin's. I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I, I would have him at three. I would still have him at three, even if Kakanyemi was still on the roster. Yeah. I, yeah, was, that's I would true. rank him. I would rank him ahead of Kakanyemi because I think, Definitely. I think right now he's a better player. I mean, if you look at potential, there's a possibility that Kakanyemi is going to be a better player than him. Um, but that's, I don't think that's the case right now. I mean, Dvorak had a pretty good year last year on a bad Coyotes team. Mm. So that for, for me is worth something because I think, you know, you move him over to the Habs, he's going to get, probably better minutes well i don't know about better minutes but definitely he's i think he's gonna have better line mates than he had in arizona i mean as as it stands if i were to project a lineup i if if i'm dominic Deschamps, my top six looks like this it looks like nick suzuki with cole caulfield and tyler Toffoli, and then my second line christian dvorak now gets to come in and be on a second line and he gets mike hoffman and brendan Gallagher. coming out of arizona coming into that in montreal i'm I'm licking my chops if I'm Christian Dvorak. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have a good time with this because that's also probably going to be the same unit that I'm going to be on for the power play as well. We know Christian Dvorak is good at the power play, so we know we're putting him there. Now you have a net front guy in Brennan Gallagher who you know loves to be there and definitely can bang in some of your rebounds. You're going to get some easy points just from him being in front of the net uh, and cleaning up your rebounds for you. And then you have Mike Hoffman who, you know, he's a sniper. He, that's what he does. He, he shoots. Dvorak's going to have a fun time with those two guys. This is my projection. That's what I would yeah. do with my top six. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. That's what I'm looking for in camp. I'm hoping that I see that in camp. Like you said, Jared, it's going to be fascinating this year in camp to see what they do because there is a lot of combinations. But for me, for my money, that's what I'm doing. If, yeah. if, if, if you were to do, as you said, Matt, then you would have Josh, Josh Anderson and Jonathan Duran playing on a third line. Yeah, yeah Ryan Paling. Yeah. With well, I mean, I think that's fine to be honest. Whether that, or not exploitation line, <laughs> yeah, and whether or not Paling makes the the team out of camp is is actually an interesting conversation to be had because they also went out and got Cedric Paquette and they got Mathieu Perrault. So there's like a lot of guys who hypothetically can play center. I know Perrault is more of a winger, but uh, like there's a lot of guys kind of vying for that final center spot. So then it becomes a question. Do you bump Jake Evans up and make him the third line center? Does mm-hmm. Jake Evans play with, uh, with Dwayne and, uh, Anderson? I mean, I don't know because Jake Evans is more defensive. I don't know if you want to give him Dwayne because Dwayne, you know, for, for how good of a player he is, he's not exactly known for his defense. I was going to say, so, isn't it the same for Anderson? He's like, he, he's kind of like all power, yeah. all speed in both directions, but <laughs> what, he doesn't what I really would do, know where he is. What, what, what I would do, and, and I don't know if this will work necessarily, but when healthy, put like Drouin, Drouin, Paling, Armia, mm-hmm. and then that would give you Lekkanen or Byron with Evans and Anderson. And, and you know, mm. if you're if you're up a goal and you're defending, then obviously you can switch that around. You can put Gallagher with Evans, right? I mean, we know Gallagher can play that kind of style. He did it with Philip Deneau. So I, I think that it's a very fluid situation. And but but I think that you know you want to obviously have chemistry, but I think that it's it's definitely flexible. And that's what's fun about this, right? Like we, you know, 
if healthy, and I know Paul Byron's going to miss the start of camp, but like Paul Byron and Matthew Perot on your fifth line is pretty remarkable because I, I see Matthew Perot as an upgrade on Corey Perry, to be quite yeah. honest. Um, just in terms of everything he can do, obviously Corey Perry on the power play, whatever. But then you have Dvorak for that now, right? Like Dvorak plays in that front. That's that's where Perry and was. Have, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I think that overall, even strength, Perot is an upgrade on Perry. Not that I wouldn't want to see Corey Perry on this team, but I, I think that you know, apples to apples, that's that's a better player. So it, it's it's going to be fascinating, right? And you mentioned Pocket. You know, they, they have a bunch of, you know, we didn't even mention Jesse Ullinen and there's a lot to mention about that, but we won't get into that right now. Um, you know, uh, Laurent Dauphin, Alex Belzil, like the Canadians have depth, right? Like they, they have. They, I was going to say options. Harvey Pinard. Yeah, Harvey Pinard. Uh, you know, so many guys that, that can, you know, come up and, and play, you know, minutes for the Canadians in a, in a pinch and that are probably better than they would have had a year ago. So, What's 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 really going to be interesting to me going into camp is a people stay healthy. That's that's obviously a big thing, but I, I'm curious how they're going to do this. I, I think that there's going, you can either go for balance for all four lines, but I, I'm curious to see what they do because you know what I'm looking forward to on this team is seeing Brendan Gallagher play offensively, and, and kind of not mm-hmm. having that shutdown role. And if you put it with a guy like Mike Hoffman. It, it it's that's an interesting line to me because I think that Gallagher uh, has kind of been has reined been reined in a little bit, you know. Obviously that line's been great. I don't want to take anything away from Thomas Tatar, take nothing away from Philip Deneau, but Brendan Gallagher playing with a more offensive role will be would be interesting. But yeah, it, there's so many options, and that's what's great is like you, you, we talked about off the top about how. You know, it's been a while since Canadians have had a, a bona fide number one offensive line. And, you know, going back to the days of, of Pacioretty, now teams can defend. They don't, they don't, if they defend their top defensive pairing, their top shutdown line against Suzuki and Caulfield, as an example, then that frees up Drouet and Hoffman and Gallagher yes. and those guys. And, and it, it adds layers to how you have to play against them, similar to how teams have to face Tampa, right? Like Braden Point, Kucherov, that's who you're going to shut down. But then you have Sorelli and Joseph and Stamkos and, uh, you know, Kalorn and all those guys, right? Like they're not, you wouldn't want to shut down Alex Kalorn and Steven Stamkos in 2021. But when, when you have to shut down Point and Kucherov, that opens up off other opportunities. And the question will be, and how successful the Canadians will be this season, will be how Suzuki deals with that. Because yep. we started to see how he was going to... Like, teams started to do that against against Montreal. They started to try and shut him down and, and avoid the Deneau matchup. Because I think that that was... They, they started to see, you know, how that was going to go for them. And it wasn't well, is, is how it went for them. <laughs> but I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do it and how teams attack the Montreal Canadiens. Because there's no... Other than the defense, which we mentioned is kind of, you know, I don't want to say bad, but it's iffy. But it was again last year, right? Like, you know, we're talking about a Stanley Cup final appearance with Eric Gustafson and John Merrill, right? Like, it was iffy last year, <laughs> but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's going to be, I'm curious. Like, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this Canadians team because it's going to be interesting. Like, they're not going to lose one nothing or 2-1. <laughs> 
And also what you're saying, they're cautiously optimistic because one year ago, expectations were sky high because of the acquisitions <laughs> in the preseason. Like, yeah. uh, you know, acquisitions of, of Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, and we're talking about the depth uh, and also like depth. The, oh, you have guys like Michael Froelich and Corey Perry as your th- 13th, 14th forwards. <laughs> and how was it a year ago? It was Alex Bilsilla coming into like Philadelphia and playing playoff Dale, games. Dale Weiss. <laughs> yeah, Dale Weiss. Exactly. So, so then expectations were high because we were going to play in a Northern division and it was going to be like, you know, um, yeah, obviously this team is going to make the playoffs if they they don't make the playoffs. Julian is going to get fired and Bergevin is going to get canned and all that. And they will have to reboot. But now they are coming off a play at like a Stanley Cup final. And everyone is kind of... Where Julian not... got fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no one is talking about the Canadians at all. Because everyone's kind yeah. of like, yeah, Canadians, bubble team, maybe. They are probably <laughs> going to miss the playoffs because their division is too hard. And they miss, like, Shea Weber is out and Kerry Price is out. Like, yeah, it, it's weird because, like you said, I, I would take this roster over what they started last year with. Yes, but but yes. at the same time, it's but like is that I, it's, is it's, that due? Like I'm going to ask you to a question: is, is that due to the newfound chemistry with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield that we are optimistic because of that chemistry? Do we look more more optimistic towards the 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 season? It's it's weird though. Like I think about like oh man, they don't have the node, they don't have Weber. But at the same time, I'm like, they can score now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just it's it just I think it's just gonna be like there's there's definitely problems with this team. Don't get me wrong. And they're definitely in a tougher division. But at the same time, I don't know if I can really justify saying that they're worse than last year because I don't think they are. And they're they're not even worse than they were three weeks ago. <laughs> right? Like I feel like they're better with Dvorak than Kakanyemi. This mm-hmm. season and, and potentially long term, but as, especially this season. So I think the big question for me, if I have to say one thing about this team right now, or I guess two things is, okay, three things, because I'm, I'm thinking about things. First thing is who's going to be that third line center? And if it's Jake Evans, who's going to be your fourth line center? They need somebody to step up, whether it's Paling, whether it's Cedric Paquette, whether it's someone like Laurent Dauphin, Lucas Vedemo, we didn't even mention Lucas Vedemo, so, someone like that, right? So somebody has to step up in that role. Because you, if, if you figure Suzuki and Dvorak are Suzuki and Deno from last year, then you, you, know, you need someone to step up and be Kotkaniemi, whoever that is, whether it's Evans or Paling. And then you need someone to fill in where Evans or Eric Stahl were, right? So that's my first question about this team. The wingers are better, but I still want to know who's going to be that that the third and fourth centers on this team. The second thing is to make sure that the defense can get it together, right? Because if it's Kulak and Romanov and Savard and Sherat, they're, they're not bad. They, they have options there. Weidman as well. Norlander is an option. Someone needs to step up into that role. If they get people to step up and play well and deserve and that competition breeds someone better, then they can replace Weber by committee. Because let's face it, Weber wasn't all that great all season long, right? We, no. we were talking about how, you know, how he was struggling and things like that. So it's not an insurmountable loss, but they need, again, they need somebody to step up a little bit. Everyone needs to step up a little bit. And the third thing, and probably the most obvious thing, is goaltending, right? Last year, Carey Price, when he wasn't good, Jake Allen was good. That's hopefully, for the Canadians, going to be the recipe this year. But it's still a question mark. And, and I'm not expecting Carey Price to be playoff Carey Price for the entire season. 
But if he can be good and Jake Allen could be good as a backup, then that's okay. But they can't be bad. So those are the three question marks I have. You can go through every team in, in the division, except maybe Tampa, and say that they also have questions, right? Boston isn't what we, they used to be. Toronto, we've seen what, what their issues are. You know, they, they don't, they, their depth is still a question mark. And you can argue it maybe is a little bit worse than it was last year uh, without Zach Hyman. The, Florida, good team, question marks, especially who's going to be their goalie. And is it Sergei Robrovsky? Um, it probably won't be, but, you know, spent tonight again, question marks. There's, there's questions throughout the division, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, obviously probably going to be worse than Montreal, but still, you know, they can, they can surprise, especially Ottawa out of that group. I don't think Detroit and Buffalo are going to surprise anybody. <laughs> um, but you know, there's, there's questions there, but I, I there's, there's a path and I feel like, I feel like I did before the playoffs started, right? Montreal was the underdog in going into the playoffs. And Matt, you wrote about this, but there was a way to beat Toronto if things fell into place. And if things fall into place, the Canadians can be a good team. They can be, you know, maybe even near, near closer to the top than the bottom of the division, but there's not a lot of leeway. And I think that's where I'm sitting right now as we talk today. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I can't really disagree with anything that you just said, but I want to go back to Anton's question real quick. Is, is my optimism linked to that chemistry between um, Suzuki and Caulfield? Absolutely. 100,000%. It's almost directly like there's, there's other things too, right? I do agree. Uh, Dvorak. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're better off with him. Um, I think the defense honestly on paper looks a little bit better to me than what we had last season, even without Weber, I think we can play Spike. So I agree with everything you just said, but absolutely. A lot of my optimism is directly linked to that chemistry because what we saw from them was what, how many regular season games did Caulfield play 10 mm, and 10. some of them weren't with some of them. He wasn't even with Suzuki. They didn't put only those one two together. Was. Only one. Yeah. They didn't put them together until towards the end. And then they did it in the playoffs. Right. So when Caulfield came in against the Leafs, they put him with Suzuki, if I recall correctly, and they kept them together during the duration of the playoffs. So we're not talking about, we're talking about a very small sample size. And in that sample size, they crushed it. They crushed it when the games matter the most against really good teams. So if you can do that with very little time together and Caulfield's brand new in the league, that, that wasn't even his rookie season. This is his rookie season coming up this season. That's how little he actually played. And if they can do that in the playoffs, creating and you know fostering this unlikely run like Kerry Price's I wrote this in the in Suzuki's profile Kerry Price's fingerprints were all over that unlikely cup, uh, cup finals run but Suzuki was really one of the guys that drove them there offensively and Caulfield was a big part of his ability to drive them there offensively so the fact that they did that in that little time to me it inspires all this confidence because like now teams are gonna have to game plan that and if they don't game plan it at the start of the season, they're going to start game planning it once they realize what those two can do together. And then once they start doing that, as we talked about before, it's going to open up tons of stuff for the rest of the lineup. It, if you're game planning constantly to try to take them out of the uh, out of the equation, there's plenty of other guys that can hurt you down the lineup at this point. Uh, they're a little bit deeper on the wing than I would like versus center, which last year, you know, it was the opposite, right? We were deep down the, deep down the middle and not as deep on the wing. So, you know, you take one thing away and something else gets worse. But at the end of the day, that chemistry between those two is going to open up so much for the rest of the lineup, because I like I guarantee if 
if they're even close to as good as I'm imagining them in my head with a, with a camp together and, and a legitimate 82 game season, then like this, this team's going to be dangerous. And like we said, they're probably not going to win games, you know, one, nothing. We're probably talking about a lot of four, four, three, five, four games, but it's going to be a fun team. That would be so much fun to write the recaps <laughs> for those games. So eventful, yeah. you know, there will always be stuff happening. There were some games this season where it was just like, you know, yeah, it was just zero, zero or one, 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 nothing after two periods. And we just like, yeah, well, it's 3 a.m. here in Sweden. Yeah, no, and no fans in the stands sleep. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not the, the, getting those game, like, game, game breaking talent. That's what Suzuki and Caulfield bring. And how far the Canadians go? will be if if they can do what they did in the playoffs is that other teams are like we're gonna try and stop you and they're so good that they say no you're not and and that's something that's been missing with with the, this these Canadians teams is is having somebody when you're down a goal when you need a goal to be like we're gonna put you on the ice and we're gonna score and and if Suzuki and Caulfield look they're still young right Suzuki's what 21 Caulfield is 20 like it's they're still they're still young players, but at the same time, if they can take that step, how quickly they can take that step, will will basically show us how long the Canadians will take to get back to to being a contender. And if it's this year, great. <laughs> but but if it's not, that doesn't mean they're not going to get there. But it's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they face these top talents. Yeah. And uh, again, I think that combination is going to be wild. I mean, this is another thing. I, I had arguments about this in our Slack chat with David Saint-Louis and I said it in the article about Suzuki. I'm going to say it now on the podcast. I believe Nick Suzuki during his career with the Montreal Canadiens is going to have a 90 plus point season. And I believe that he will do that with Cole Caulfield on his wing. That's when, when I watched them in the playoffs last year, the, the things that they were able to do, like uh, you already brought up that goal in game six against Vegas, right? Where Caulfield does like, first of all, beautiful pass to get it to Caulfield in the first place. Second of all, him chipping it like that, knowing that he's going to be able to get around the defender and then going roof. That shows how in a split second, they can change the game. Like you said, that game breaking ability, they have that, right? So for me, Nick Suzuki is going to have, a 90 plus point season with the Montreal Canadians and Cole Caulfield is going to be a big part of that. I don't know how many goals he's going to score probably more than 40 in order to get Suzuki over 90, but I I'm predicting that that will happen. I'm speaking it into existence. <laughs> well, we tra- know Trevor Zegers, Trevor Zegers said yeah. that Cole Caulfield is going to score 40 goals this year. Yeah. Zegers um, said he's going to do it. And we know they're friends, but I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly, and I don't, I don't want to predict this one because I don't, I don't want to put that on him. I'm sure Cole Caulfield doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he does, Cole, I don't want to put that on you, but I could see it. I could see him scoring 40 goals. I honestly could. Yeah. What, I, I, what I, I pace think. was he on? I think he scored four goals in 10 games uh, in yeah. the regular season. Right. And those were his first 10 games. So come on, let's, let's admit that he's going to do probably better than that, but four goals in 10 games over 82 translates to 32. 32-33. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I think I think it's going to – what it's going to come down to – look, you, you don't get to 90 points. You don't get to 40 goals if the power play isn't working. And yeah. and I think that's that's a big thing is that the Montreal Canadiens for years now – we can say that for years – have struggled on the power play. You know, they, they were a little bit better last year, but still not great. But, you know, at least now – and somebody – I forget which one of you mentioned it earlier, but 
you know, the second unit won't be the penal- the power kill anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not going to be like you know Armia and Lekanin and not Lekanin, but Armia Dano and you know I don't even remember <laughs> what they had on there. Um, but yeah, that second unit was was iffy at times. But yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Look, look, Suzuki is going to pro like we're going to have this debate probably three more times in this ranking. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to say how one's going to pass the other, because I feel like they're going to be linked uh, for the next few years, but yeah, Nick Suzuki, number one for the, the second straight year. And we're going to start talking about training camp and, and things like that very soon as uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. When you listen to this on Wednesday, training camp starts and and yes it's medicals and things like that so it's not you know practicing but we're there's a game on saturday guys <laughs> there's a game on saturday there is. it's it's um it's preseason hockey Woo. but at the same time it was a long time it, ago it's, it's been a long time since preseason hockey yeah. yeah i mean the last exhibition game was like the game against toronto before the bubble which yeah. was awful it was an awful game yeah. But but uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see the battles and and the chemistry form and how Dominic Ducharme enters his first full season as head coach because we can't discount that. I don't think that Dominic Ducharme put his his stamp on the Canadians yet, and I, I think he kind of just you know had to rush things together uh, after not having any practices. But it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, obviously, Trevor Latowski. Uh, in addition to the bench, Alex Burrows, a full off season yeah. to work on that. It'll, it'll, I, I'm intrigued that this Canadians team will be interesting and interesting is good because there's things to write about and writing about things is good because that's what we do at Eisen Prize. And when we write about good things, we get to talk about good things. And that's where Haps and Mining comes in. Thank you for listening. Anton, Matt, thank you for joining me. And we'll see you next time when we have actual hockey to talk about. On Hapsomar. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.